Chingila Yumom Chingiwala to our podcast series Custodial Care. My name is Eleanor Bancroft. I'm a proud Bundjalung woman with blood ties to Scotland and Poland, speaking to you from Bundjalung country. And my name is Kiralee Dawn, and I am a proud Barkindji woman, also living here on Bundjalung country. And we are presenting conversations about custodial care. This season, we are focusing on the 2022 floods of Lismore. And these are the stories of the Kurimal Flood Hub and the volunteers who help support and rebuild our community. Thanks for joining us on our podcast, Custodial Care. I am honoured to be blessed with the beautiful presence of our black king and queen here, Aunty Jackie Laurie and Wayne King. Mm. I'd love for you two to introduce yourself to the audience, um, who your mob is, where you come from and uh, what you do. Hello, everyone. My name's Jackie Laurie. Um, my mother's country is Yagel, Nigeria, which is Yamba McLean. And our country is Waibul, Wijibul, which is Lismore Danun, which is part of the mighty Bundjalin Nation. Um, I work for health. I'm not going to tell you where I work because I'm sure you all know. Um, and I live in Lismore and I'm here with my brother Wayne. Hi, yeah, my name is Wayne King. As Jackie said, I'm Wijibul Waibul. Uh, Born and raised in Lismore. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Right. Our family connection is that we're first cousins. So that's our connection has in the bloodline and who we are. And he drives me up the wall. <laughs> and that's why we needed you both on together. This is our first duo interview, which I'm really excited about. And for anybody that came down to Koori Mail um, while we were operating our flood hub, um, you would have seen probably Arnie, Jackie and Wayne just being a little twosome running around. You guys were um, joined at the hip for most of the time. And I think that you guys bring a lot of joy to a lot of people's lives, especially um, me every time I came down to the hub. I loved seeing you both, but I'd love to kind of take it back to the floods and I know it was a year ago um, but maybe we could just start with where you guys were at when those rains actually started falling and what your kind of initial thoughts were as the as the levee broke and the water continued to rise there. Well I was out at Gundarimba it's Aboriginal community out just outside of Lismore here past uh, Albert Park basketball stadium and um the water came up. I couldn't get into town, so it was a couple of weeks. And then when I finally did come into town, I drove down past Courier Mail and I seen Nay and Noel's daughter, Alira. Yeah, they were sitting up at the front with one marquee taking donations. And then I come back the following few days or week late or something, then I come down and then I joined the volunteers they at the hub in Lismore at Quarry Mail had gone. Well, for me, it was on the Sunday that it impacted, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So it was on the Sunday. And on the Saturday, I happened to be in the workers' club. And they put an announcement over saying the club will be closed tomorrow and we're not sure when it will open again. And it was like, 
What do you mean the club will be closed tomorrow? And we sort of were a bit stunned by it, looking at the raindrops, thinking, oh, no. And then when we woke up the Sunday morning, yeah, Lismore was flooded. And I, I was lucky. I, my house didn't get touched. I live over, over the other side of town. But I didn't come down for a lady because I work for health. And because I work for health in the job that I do, my priority was making sure that the people that I care for were okay and that they weren't flood-stricken, that they were at the um, evacuation centres, that they had what they needed to have in their lives to... um, be able to still live with some dignity. And that, that includes, you know, our people that live in tents and that are homeless on the streets. That was a priority for me at the time to making sure that they that they were OK. And we were going out at the disaster recovery team and working with who we needed to work at the time to make sure that they were there and that they were well and that they had food and that they, you know... And then... You know, it, it came right up to the the Laurel Avenue for the floods just near the hospital. And our outdoor car park actually looked like an indoor, outdoor swimming pool because all the floodlights came on. And I was doing... I actually was pulling double shifts in the hospital because um, we had no staff, just making sure that people were OK. And it was amazing to stand there in the pouring rain at one in the morning looking at the crystal outdoor swimming pool at the car park. So once once I got sort of work out and then I came down to the Kurimal hub and saw Brother Wayne and thought, oh yeah, he's here, I may as well come down too. So that's why I came down. And, and to support Nene and to be there for her because it was going to be a long journey. But I, I, I mainly came down because of him because of Wayne and, and it's just what you do and then as the time went on you, you realise you change focus, you're actually here for the community, you're here for people but you're still here as a mob and you're still here as one. Mm. That's how I got involved. Yeah and being Ridgeable Wireable People, this isn't your first flood that you've been through. I mean um, Lismore has flooded pre- prior to the biggest colonial flood that we faced last year but I guess what's been the difference, and I guess as Ridgeable Wireball people, can you talk a little bit about Lismore as um, and its origins with water and catchment in this area, and why kind of these floods you think are getting bigger or worse? Well, I reckon since they're putting the new freeway down near Woodburn, and that that sort of blocked most of the water to go out to the ocean. Yeah, you're talking about that. That's the new Grafton bypass that they were building over. I think it was like ten years, twenty-four million tax-paying money put into it, and they did. They did do the dodgy. Hey, they weren't didn't yeah. put the appropriate drainage in, and I think that they were saying something like two and a half extra meters, because normally uh, Woodburn and Korokai and our neighbouring towns they normally don't get affected in the floods in to the extent that they got affected in the floods last year, eh? No, that's why I reckon it was that made away that they built no water going out mm. they all catch the court up down near Woodburn and that yeah yeah no yeah, because in 2017 was the last major flood and that wasn't as 
Yeah, 2007, 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't as bad as has the one that we had last year. And I remember that because I was flying out to New Zealand to play in the World Masters games in softball. And we could actually get through, like, out of town and and get up to the Gold Coast. In this one, eh, we couldn't. It was sort of like we were an isolated isolated community for for everybody, in, including, you know, Korokai and Broadwater and Pimlico and, and even Nimbin. Now, Nimbin had massive landslides out there and people were stuck in their houses and... We were taking stuff out to the neighbourhood centre. So when they came from, came down from their homes to get through the mud and the water, we knew that they would have fresh water. We knew they would have clothes because we did just car. We just did loads. And it's just something that we did, eh? Yeah. It was just part of it. And, and also I think too is that you know, we've lost when you when you look at the river system and and stuff like that, and not only in our own country but other countries too, is that if you look back in time, the loggers that came in and 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 took the trees out and 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 destroyed the nat- national the natural riverbanks and the marshes where where Mother Earth had those drainage systems and there were creeks running off and that water was able to move, like Wayne said, and now now it just sits there. We've got nowhere to go, eh? No. We just sit some backlogs on the whole thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, the cement compacting onto the soil, mm. not allowing for it to actually move through, and... You know, I think as Indigenous people, we know that this region is like the river region, like it's the waterway region, you know, and has always been that, the five rivers. And um, what do you guys, I mean, I know that you, you, you not only came down to the hub like quite early on and were here and, um, you know, Arnie Jackie, you got your uh, everyday job that you're doing as well, but you were also two of our longest lasting volunteers who really were here putting in some extraordinary hours and Wayne I'm looking at you for that beginning stages too because um, I don't think people realize like uh, how much our community was showing up and I want to highlight you in this like you were actually sleeping on a stretcher bed every night in those initial weeks because we didn't have security and we wanted to make sure that the donations were going to stay here and going to the most vulnerable people. Brother, what was it like for you, that experience? <laughs> oh, I was pissing down right now. Oh, yeah. In that tent before we had the closed-up one. Yeah, right. It was pretty hectic. Had to go around to every um, gazebo, push the water out from the roof every corner, up every 20 minutes or so, so I didn't really get much rest. Just like to say, Wayne did have a TV. Hey, he did have a TV. Oh, yeah, I brought my TV. He had a proper TV. He set that up by himself, so he was quite happy watching Survivor or whatever you watch on TV. I just like to say that we didn't leave him in the dark by himself with his little lighter. And were there yeah. many people who like are on the streets that time? Because we had you out there for security for fear of looting, right? Yeah, we had a few people. I had a few people come past and snooping around, and got a surprise when I popped my head up out of the dark. Asking what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. What's the advantages of having a community member be a security guard rather than a security guard? <laughs> oh, you know everyone. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know that know who the locals are, and just you know, just tell them, look, brother, sister, you can't come here. Yeah. Come back tomorrow. You know, be nice about it, and yeah, they understand. Yeah. And I think that was a real power of the hub. Actually, was mm-hmm. that it was really run on the on the hearts of our, of our community. Um, you know, you two in particular, people that actually know and have built and established relationships with people on this country. It makes a real difference. You know, we saw as a collective what happened when those government officials come in and they try to take over without having relationships, you know. And what did you guys see in that? Like, how do you see that their fails or their shortcomings were um, coming down on us? So <laughs> the government officials, that, that was interesting. I, I, think, I think the one I found most fascinating was the governor. One, I was fascinated by how their black jeeps rolled down the street with um, rubbish and um, the, 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 the visual of Lismore at that time and outstep, what was it, a couple of security guards, Wayne, and we're like, what the fuck? We're not going to rush this governor, little white woman. We found that hilarious. Um, and, you know, they'd be in their suits adjusting their jackets and... We'd be sitting there looking like, I don't know, you can tell we'd just unpacked boxes or or something. We weren't looking that pretty at that time of the mm. day. And they just roll in looking immaculate. And it was like, hmm. And we sort of had to behave because Naomi told us to, so we did. But I found her fascinating because she, she was interesting to talk to and... I think she she acknowledged a lot of it and um, and her offsider, who's her... What do you call those people that deal with the media? Uh, HR, publicist. Yeah, I liked him. I really, really liked that young lad. He was very... Um, even though he wore a suit and I think he'd probably take you down if you even looked at the governor the wrong way. He was a lovely lad. I really liked talking to him and... But the governor, I found, was really down to earth. And remember when we had to have our formal pictures taken in front of that mural, eh? And I remember that, you know, the photographer and all these these people in suits and the rest of it, and I couldn't help but say to the governor, do you have any tattoos? She went, no, do you? And it was very interesting talking to the governor of New South Wales about tattoos. And I quite liked her because you cannot do that with many politicians, I suppose, or when you've got men in security and black jeeps parked among, well, behind the big shipping container at that time. I, I liked her. The rest of them I, I, I did, didn't have much time for, but I will say that I always will have much love and respect to Uncle Shane Phillips of Tribal Warrior. I will always adore that man and what he has done for our mob um, in Sydney and the way that he came up here and supported us and 
he he lasted the journey with us, the mm. tribal warrior, mm-hmm. eh, Wayne? Yeah. They were there every step of the way, so, you know. And we, we've spoken about Shane in other episodes, you know. Mm. Um, Shane t- took off his uniform as a, as a representative of his Aboriginal community because he yeah. knew he would be able to make more impact as a civilian to come up here and support us. And then he went on to um, his organisation, helped Auspice the Crew Kitchen. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah, which you both had a lot to do with. So just navigating from donation hub space back to Curry Kitchen. Mm. Tell me about your journey with the kitchen. And, and I mean, <laughs> wait a second. Don't tell me about the full journey with the kitchen. But, <laughs> you know, just the journey of what it was like. What, I mean, how many meals were we putting out? Like, who were we servicing? Well, a lot of hungry people that included us. And, I mean, when the kitchen, hey, Wayne, because it was over this side in the car park because we had sort of the food and essential on the bottom and then Rose was on the top with the clothes and lounges and mattresses and everything. They went across the road and um, I don't think what people realise is around that time... We were we were with the food, and I mean, this is like this includes unloading boxes, packing boxes, and we had wonderful volunteers over that journey too. People like James from Kempsey, Andrew. I loved yelling out his name; it was so embarrassing for him, but he always answered. Wayne's mate, what's his name? Alan. Oh, Al. Uh, yeah, yeah you're your mate, not mine. <laughs> um, we had Freya. We had so many people Liam. there that did the journey with us and they came at a time and then they went back. And that is, I think, what we need to acknowledge in the hub is that we had so many people that come through. We had the mob from on the south coast that came up. We had the mobs that come down from Brisbane, from out west, and but a lot of people. Julie, who was upstairs with Rose with the clothes, all those people that put a part of it into it. And shout out to you know Izzy and Chelsea for for their role and 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 being really strong women in what they did. And at the end of the day, we pulled it off an amazing, amazing thing. What we did, I eh? sure did. We did, and you know, we even we were sometimes, you know, we were there to eight o'clock at night, just repacking shelves, just cleaning, making sure that it was when the doors opened the next day that it was a welcome atmosphere, that we weren't there to to judge or put anybody out. That that was not our role to do that. Could we just give the audience a little bit of context? So the Koori Kitchen went in around March um, last year. And then when did it close? Oh, before Christmas, eh? Before Christmas it closed, but when did the actual big tent come down? February. February. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing feat, almost a whole year of operations with a big, massive marquee in a car park on council <laughs> property, you yeah. know, getting food out and for feeding and supporting the community. Chelsea and Izzy, who Annie Jackie spoke about, they were two women who helped set up and establish that and then it ran off the back of the volunteers who showed up as Annie Jackie spoke about, all mm. the different people who supported us and looked after us during that journey. That was it, you know, and we had people that came in that gave, you know, us and other volunteers massages. We had chefs, cooks, 
painters, electricians, even electricians from Sydney, A eh, came up and when we needed power, they came up. They just jumped in their ute when they could get through the roads and came up and helped us. And, you know, it, it was... I tell you what, we learned a few lessons along the way, eh? Sure and we, we, you know, I don't know if we'll ever do it again. I'll probably be old and grey by then in a wheelchair. Um, yeah, you learn, learn what you put in place and what you don't put in place. But at the end of the day, as, as Indigenous people, we do not. We do not work within the little man's, the white man's little boxes. We don't perform to how they perceive that we should do and and yeah we do but we don't really we don't how can I put it when you run a hub like that you've got to have key people and you were one of them and uh, Q was one of them Nene you know other other people were key people and they were there their roles were there to do the forms to mm. allocate that was your role our role was to run the hub and provide a service and be there for people that came in covered in mud or came in covered in tears and mm. and they had nothing and, and things like that. That was our role and then you fellas had a different, total different role to what to what we wanted. And we never entered into that arena. We never crossed lines in that arena. Mm. We were just happy to sit there with people that brought in donations eh, and unpacked it and... Yeah, if there were a few times we could have, you know, got happily into punches and the rest of it, but Naomi told us we weren't allowed to, so we didn't. Most of the time you were the heartbeat and the joy and the humour, I think, <laughs> you know. And, and one thing that really stood out too, because you both spent a lot of time in um, the Donation Hub, was the benefits of having community running rescue operations is also being able to know who really is in need because that's what you two were were that really for a lot of us you know who haven't been as plugged into the community for as long as you both have been and that's I think the advantages when we look at grassroots versus government right? Mm. You know, because they're not local structures government. They're overarching. They're, um, you know, just trying to basically fit a system for large amounts of people. But as we know, like, Widjibal Weibel is different to Midjibal and we're still occupying the same, you know, na nation as a Bundjalung peoples. So how could we even have, you know, from Yeagle to Gumbangi to Bundjalung and then start going all the way up? We're all so different and local-based people. And I think for me that Kurimau what it really did last year was show that if people want to make any significant change in this country, they have to support our grassroots organisations and movements. And that's very true because, you know, even in the times, remember when the crew came down from Muli Muli? Like, they just jumped in the bus and came down and they helped us repack, restock, move shelves. A lot of people did it, and, and especially Eddie's, Nene's men. Mm. He, his bloodline and his family and his friends, they the came Fijians, in and did, yeah. yeah, they did all the hard work. And, you know, we have to acknowledge also too is that, you know, we got a lot of donations coming through from Sydney mm. to, in, in trucks that would come up, eh? 
and it was the Vietnam community in Sydney from Cabarata. They they held fundraisers down there, eh? Yeah. And every Saturday, Saturday they would leave Sydney. They'd bring up a busload of my brand new microwaves, eh? And they'd come up and they'd um, unload the microwaves, but they wouldn't let anybody else unload the van until they spotted me or you. And I'm like, yeah, over there, look, go and talk to him. And then it was like, where's Brother Wayne? And this was this was one of the satisfying, beautiful things is when you have somebody else from another culture standing there holding a brand new microwave saying, where's Wayne? <laughs> yeah, over there, look, just go and get him. So they would leave and then they would come back the following Saturday with heaters. They would come back with brand new heaters. Hmm. And... Same again. And so this, you know, they had the biggest fundraising, the Vietnam community from Cabarata. And I remember when it, when, it, when they finished their fundraising, I sent down Indigenous shirts to them. Mm. I went and brought quite a lot and sent them down with notes, with a big note that, you know, thank you on behalf of Naomi, Brother Wayne, all of us, you know, for, for what you did for our community and our nation. And... Actually, I don't know if they ever got it, but I'll have to go to Cabramatta to see someone wearing one of my shirts down there. I'd love to do that. <laughs> Remember the time Big W brought down like 500 bloody noodles? What yeah. the hell were we going to do with 500 bloody noodles in winter? No one was going swimming. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Not noodles, the food. No, no noodles. noodles no, the noodles, the swimming um, device that helps you float. Yeah, they noodles. <laughs> we could have used them pre the flood, maybe. Well, yeah. <laughs> But one of the best stories that came out with those with those exercise noodles was that there's a lady in, in I'm not sure if she lives in Lismore outside, but she ran a service for disability children on horses, remember? And she came in so excited when she spotted all these noodles and we were just sitting there like going, what the hell are we going to do with all these 500 bloody noodles? Jeez. She came in and asked, could she have noodles? And we looked at her and we went, sure. And she told us that they were for the children that went out that lived with disabilities, that they actually used those noodles to pad their legs on the horse and around their back to give them comfort when they moved on the animals in horse therapy. And we just said, sure. Take the old box. The thing is that when people came in like that distressed or wanted stuff and they said, can we have this? We would just say, sure, mm. why not? But there was also a limit because there were other people coming behind you mm. that just needed as much as you did, eh? Yeah. It was a big thing. Even when the Vietnam people, they, they brought up, man, remember when they used to bring up 24 kilos of washing powder? We were like, what the fuck? Never mind. And anyway, we'd sit there, so we would put them in containers so everybody that came through at least could have some washing powder to maybe do a couple of loads of washing. I remember that. Annie Jackie had her little station up the back of our um, our donation hub where she was um, um, taking the bulk washing detergent and putting it into single-use packages or packages for families so that it wasn't as much, you know. Everybody gets something, and I think that's something that the hub was really good at, right? There was um, really this idea and philosophy amongst all of us that we wanted to not only help the Indigenous community, but it was for everybody. That's right across the board. And the thing, too, is that we were taught you share your blessings. 
whatever you have, you share your blessings. And I remember mummy used to say it, you know, Anitella, Nanya, all them, all them old aunties used to always say, whatever you have, you share your blessings. And and we did that, and we we often spoke about sharing and what we had. In that, mind you, I don't share with all the family because just some of them, eh, Wayne? <laughs> but it's it's um it was all about that, and you know, we 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 ran that hub. But in saying that too, if Naomi gave us a direction, or Naomi told us to put this away or do that, we would do that without questioning. Mm. Even though she never unpacked a can of baked beans, might I add, only for the cameras and a picture, eh, Wayne? We've seen it. <laughs> uh, bless her. But if she gave us that direction, we would do that. And that was out of love and respect for her, for what her vision was and what she had, had achieved. She didn't ask us to do it. We just did it. It's what you do. And during your time down here, I mean, how do you think the community responded to the hub and how do you think Lismore was impacted by the hub? Oh, it was... Yeah, it was a need. There was a need for it. No worries about that. Um, like, we've got a high rate of um, mental issues here with some of our members in the community and plus the mental strain that it had on other people in the community after the flood, all that traumatised and all that. So we tried to, our best, you know, just to give them good feed, see someone stressed or whatever, would sit down and have a talk to them or guide them to a counsellor or something, a wellbeing team there, just talk about things and that, just try to get stuff off their head, off their minds, you know. Mm. Yeah. And since the, the floods, um, hubs closed down, have you been speaking to people about their experience, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, of, of, of the hub? Yeah, a lot of them miss it. Yeah. Yeah, because it was like a good place to uh, sit down, talk. They would all communicate with each other. Mm. So, yeah, they all miss that. Yeah. Mm. In many ways, we were, you know, with exception to the shelter component, there was basically we were providing the three out of the four needs for human beings to survive, which include community food and clean water. You know, um, unfortunately, shelter was inaccessible for us, but if the council just gave land back and all of Lismore back to Widgeable Wireable for self-governance and determination, then maybe we could see in future floods everybody being looked after. Um, but even within the confinements of having to work with people like the council and, you know, state and federal governments, we still managed to achieve, like, a great impact in the supporting of our community, which I think just goes to show if more... Um, movements and grassroots organisations that are First Nations or Indigenous, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander-led that will see significant great change in our communities. What's been both of your experiences with involvement with grassroots organisations in general in Lismore and do you think they make impact? Mm, for me, I, 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 I don't tend to call them grassroots. I, I, I don't... Um I don't look at organisations like that. I think I think I have the belief that because because Mother Earth 
we are responsible to look after Mother Earth. We are responsible to look after the land and what she gives us and the, and the rivers and things like that. I, I, if if a, like an organisation or something approaches and wants this or that done, then I do that. I don't. But there's a line that I draw. If 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 how can I say it? If I'm not comfortable with that person standing in front of me, mm. and they say, "But oh yeah, but I come from I don't know timber and the wood or whatever," and and they don't use the right words or their body languages shift with me, then it's like, mm -mm, go and swing on your clothesline, not really interested in you. So I don't, I don't, <laughs> I think grassroots, yeah, it's, it's, for me it's a very broad term. Yeah. I think especially among the mob, I think that that word tends to, tends to get lost sort of at that level. For me, it's, it's. It's hard to explain. Members of the community, instead yeah. of, a, instead of yeah. such an organisation or something, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Okay, Down that's a really good point yeah. to talk to, is that actually, like, org it wasn't set up by an organisation, no. actually. It was the community members. That's what I mean. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, yeah, Kuri Ma was backing it, came from Nainai, yeah. but at the end of the day, it wasn't. It was actually community member-led. Yeah, that's, that's. Not organisational. Yeah, and in my led. eyes, that's not grassroots. Yeah. In my eyes, that was that was us. That yeah. was community. That was everybody that came, everybody that dropped off food or whatever. The five hundred pumpkins from where they come from? <laughs> bloody Tamworth. God, if I ate one more bloody pumpkin scone, that time. But you know, we were so blessed to have have just community people that owned. Farms. They weren't grassroots people. Mm. They were farmers that had 500 pumpkins and let's go to Lismore with trailers. It's mm. like, fancy, I'm not packing pumpkins. And then the interesting bit, A. Wayne was trying to get rid of 500 pumpkins. Can I have a pumpkin? Take five. Just what one. No, I need you to take five. We need room on this veranda. Take five. Um, you know, Google, 100 ways to cook pumpkin. This sort of stuff. And we were so lucky that we, that we had that. We... We, um, just people would just turn up with stuff, eh? And we, some days we would just stand there and go, what the hell are we going to do with that? What's this? But it was, it was, it came from their heart and it came from their soul and who they were as people to give that hub what they could provide in their journey of their life to people that had nothing. Mm. So it wasn't our place to go, uh, no, we'll just take 50 pumpkins. Sure, we'll take the whole 500. That's what the story was about. Mm. And that was part of it, I think. And we just, you know, we provided everything. Bloody dog food, baby food, baby farmer, tents, jumpers, brooms. Furniture. Remember, we had a full yeah. delivery furniture service there for a while. Yeah. Oh. We could have become Harvey Norman. Just all that stuff, anyway, when you think about it, when you look back. And and we even had a tool section. Mm. Hey, with um, pressure cleaners and what do you call them? Drills and everything. Everything and shovels. Dehumidifiers and, and yeah. The word. And the shops that were rebuilding in the CBD and that, they would come up to the hub and, and book them out. You know, the the girls had a booking system. That wasn't our job. 
that was their job to tell us who it was allocated to. Mm. And, you know, that's the, the cafes around town were grateful for that because, and this is what is so special about the hub, is that we provided so many different services. Things. It wasn't just come and get a feed. It was like, you want a shovel? You want this? You want that? Yeah, and if we don't have it, let's see how we go. Or yeah. how we can get it. It was like a one-stop shop, you know, that equipment space. So called. There was like, you know, tw- we're not just talking about one dehumidifier. It was like 20 dehumidifiers, 20 pressure cl- um, cleaners, chainsaws, like everything. Generators. That, yeah, people could come and rent out from us. And that's yeah. a whole other service we haven't even spoken about in the podcast series no. yet. And when she, when the word rent's not used, it's it, you didn't pay for it. You didn't pay yugs or money for it. You just came and got it in terms of that. It was sort of like lease, but you had to bring it back mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, even the medical, the medical room. <gasps> That's right. You yeah. had GPs and doctors coming in, volunteering their time. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Rachel and... And we had nurses and everything. And even, even at the time... Right at the beginning, the helicopter pilots, the helicopter doctors that were allocated to go on the choppers that were doing the rescues, they actually came into the hub like for a couple of hours just to give their time. And we were having people coming there that were getting cuts, walking through the floodwaters or had infected stuff. And it for us, it was good to say, you know, if you go over there, there's two nurses and a doctor. Um... Don't go to emergency, let them have a look at you first because emergency was inundated at that time with a lot of people that had injuries. So that was a good thing too that we had. And, you know, shout out to the Army. Those boys, man, they, they you know, shout out to them and what they did for our community, except they ruined my front lawn, my Nelly, with their big trucks, but that's beside the point. Um, you know, they, they were just lovely. They were very respectful those young boys and and I think that a lot of things that the that they realized is that because the hub was set up on the Koori Mal premises and the hub was run by First Nations people is that you will come with respect to our hub if you disrespect us as First Nations people then you will be asked to leave and we don't apologize for that we, we're not going to say we're sorry for, for asking you to leave at that time if we thought it was unnecessary or, or you were you thought you were more entitled to the person standing next to you. We had no issues in saying, no, no, you need to stop and, and share the blessings. Mm. Um, Thank you for bringing that in too because it's also, that's what, what, what makes it our way. It does. You know, be part of it. I think that anybody that's actually grown up in an Indigenous community understands what the word respect is. You know, uh, our kids know we have an understanding that it, you respect your elders regardless of where they're from. You have an understanding that you respect the land. You know, we respect each other. We don't just respect everybody. You have to earn that, that's you know, right. and, and that was a real part of uh, uh, the, the hub as well was it don't just come and expect anything no. because everyone's working very hard for everyone else. So we're just wanting to be with people that are respectful and grateful for what we're giving. And that's true in what you say because one thing we noticed was we, when, when we had, you know, First Nations Maori people come over from New Zealand and they would come like... 
what, maybe three weeks, four weeks on their journeys, travels come up, whatever, that they were very respectful of the process. You could actually, you could actually see them sort of just waiting, standing very silent until sort of that eye contact was made and it was like, hmm, hey, aunt. Yeah, you can start over there. It was it was that sort of respectful thing for them, and and their their acknowledgement that they were at the Koori Mal Hub, that they were with First Nations people of Australia, but also willing to to put aside their life as First Nations people of their country to travel to come and and be with us and cook and share their food. That that was amazing to see that, and I think that we also need to acknowledge how many different cultures that hub brought together. It was amazing. It was just fascinating. And some days we would just sit there absolutely buggered and tired and, you know, looking back, eh? No, we didn't end up in hospital with a pulled muscle from boxes and shit like that. I know. Yeah. There was a lot of lifting. I'm surprised that we all haven't got more ripped bodies, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like damn. I feel a bit robbed. <laughs> Remember the first kitchen over Curry Mailside in the tent? Um, <laughs> the Dahl people. Oh, yeah. Lord. Was, how long did was that? We was eating Dahl every day. Oh, oh. Yeah. And yeah. Then, I don't know, some, someone... Yelled out, we need bullung, need bullung. Meat, meat, meat. Sister Jack goes and buys some bullung and she cooks it up there. Yeah. I remember, oh, yeah. was, it, was it you it was with me one day when um, well, a couple of the fellas pulled up in the car and they had a bunnage and they dropped it off and a kidna and we were eating it hay because yeah. we were, we had these fellas come and, you know, bless them, yeah. they, their heart was in the right place. But when you're working and you're in this place of, of, of utilising so much energy, our, our meat is our friend. Our protein and that's our fats right. are our friends. Our body needs that to and this is, survive. And that's right. And we're not being disrespectful to vegetables. Vegetarians, vegans, plant, no. plant-based people, or anything else like that. Uh, that's n- we're not disrespecting you, but but, I won't. How many ways can you cook bloody dal and lentils, eh? And we're not having a go because after a flood, we understand and we acknowledge there's not a lot of food around, a lot of meat, and we were grateful that we had that. But no, 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 you just try it and dal and lentil for freaking two weeks straight. It was a bit much, eh? It was. <laughs> Just got to yeah, have that bon rare steak with, <laughs> with a bit of mashed potato and gravy and then life's good after that, I think. Well, in my eyes, maybe not everybody else's. Volunteering tastes better when meat's involved. Bloody oath it does, especially with tomato sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and a can of Coke. Life's not bad on that one. That's how we saw it. And so we did, you know, and it was just a journey and a half that we that we learnt a lot of. And then, you know, the day that the big tent went down, we were all there. I mean, me and Wayne at the end of it, didn't we get stuck with some stuff to do? This is for February 2023 when the kitchen tent finally was taken down. You are a bit emotional, weren't you, my brother? Yeah, I sure was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was you with Lala? Yeah, sat in oh, the car, listened to music, Nay, and was downstairs at Koori Mail. They were saying, look at brother, is he right there? And as it was going down, got a bit teary. 
<laughs> they said, you're right, brother. <laughs> I just pumped up the music, sitting there watching Paul no, no, down. No, no, Graham, tell mm. people what song you was listening to. What was it now? What song you was listening to? Sinead O'Connor. Oh, yeah. Was it her? Yep, yep. Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. Yep. Our brother boy sitting in the in the rain in his car listening to Shade and Ada Connor take as the big big white tent gets taken down in front of him. Mm. And that that was it, I Wayne. Yeah, we had some fun over. We've seen a lot over there. Sister Sandra used to give us a bit of a ripple there. Uh, ripple. Half of them used to give us a ripple. Mm. But in saying that, one of and I'm not going to say his name. But a family member of ours, you know, who used to give us a ripple, you know, every time. He appreciated being fed, being given the food. Nao went and brought him a radio and all stuff like this. And one day, remember when it was summer or something like bloody L45 or something, remember? And he came with all these paddle pops and ice blocks for all of us. And we're like, I mean, you don't even pay your chemist bill. But... That was his way of saying, there's not much I, I can offer you, but it comes back to what I said before. He shared his blessings. He shared what he had. And he brought ice blocks for everybody. And we were like, holy crap. And that, that, that for me brings out a best part of someone who they are, that they returned something that we gave them, that something that we supported them for so long. Now that the hub's kind of, I mean, it's closed, but it feels like it's it's just taking a different form as the building starts to finish its renovations. But, you know, what what is that feeling for both of you as it stopped? Oh, I got bored. I can tell you that. All I did was sleep <laughs> <laughs> for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just was so used to getting up early because she was, no, was going in there to help community. Mm. Yeah. Sad, but life goes on. Mm. Do you oh. miss it? Yeah, miss it. Yeah, but what's yeah. the next journey of your life? Oh, well, Kurima's going to start a coffee shop downstairs and all that, and um, going to get some Bristol training and stuff like that. You yeah. could be the manager down there, my brother. Yeah, so Nate's got to line it up and do some courses and whatnot. Great. Rock in, and it'll be the, like that. Like, we got two elders, Uncle Cliff and... Uncle Angus, two elderly Aboriginal men that used to sit on the Koori Mail kitchen on the veranda every day, every non-stop. Day every play. day they'd be there because they just love that company, mm. sat down and talk and communicating with people, you know. Mm. Yeah, so it'll be the same vibe at the coffee shop, I guess. Yeah. yeah it'll be another meeting place. And so yeah. Koori Mail Building's currently under construction, for those of you who don't know um, and who want to support us, you know, keep buying the paper, keep supporting tell more people to subscribe yeah. and support this paper, which is black-owned and has been for 30 years, but also, you know, very proud to say that the Korea Mail also has now bought this building, the entire building. And from what that hub was last year, you know, moving into having a community centre downstairs, a cafe so that we can have our community have a place where they can meet, where they feel safe. That's really what it's about, really creating places for our people where they feel safe to be. And that's it, because the other half, like, Nay wants to turn into a community area, like, with lounges and that for little people and the cafe and that over there. And going back to what Wayne was said about them two old fellas, eh? Remember them two other old fellas we had, Walter and Poppy, we used to call him? 
grandma used to come there every day and Poppy, he was in the floods and I think he got rescued by a little tinny. He used to walk all the way from over there with his on his cane stick. Eh? Bless him, he was, ve- he was vegetarian. That's what I mean, no disrespect before, but sometimes you've got to have meat. But a mean one used to take him home, eh? and he used to come over just to say hello and things like that. And he was ever so grateful for whatever we gave him. And you could just see that little twinkle in his eye. Eh? And it's like Walter. I mean, Walter was not affected by the floods, but... He came down to the Korea Mail for company and we even celebrated his 90th birthday. Made him a cake, I went and brought him flowers and the rest of it and that was a thing that, you know, like Wayne said, it was, it was just a, a place where people got together. At the end of it, it was regardless of whether or not you were flood affected mm. and those that they showed that them, them fellas, eh? Well... Look, I've got a couple more questions left and then we'll wrap up because I know you're both extremely busy people. I just want to ask you, why, why do you love Lismore or Widgeable Wibble? Well, I'm always home, as they say, yeah. born and bred here. So, yeah, it's a nice area. You're always going to stay here with us? You're not leaving anywhere? No, maybe? stay here. Die here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a bit morbid. <laughs> born, bred and die here, yeah. No, it's nice here. We're not too far from the beach. Nice rainforests, waterfalls, beautiful country. Yeah. True. Wouldn't live anywhere else. For us, it's, you know, it's where our our bloodline, our aunties, our uncles before us, so we're we're very lucky to, to be able to, like Wayne said, that we can go to the beach, we can do this, we can go up over the range and stuff like that it's not too far but and and I'm lucky because I, I tend to go over to home also for me is Yeagle Nandura which is Yamba McLean so I tend to go over home a fair, fair bit to country over there and that's also nice for me because that's by the sea and we got native title and we were the first uh, First Nations people in New South Wales to also be granted sea land titles mm. so that comes in handy when you can sit there and stuff yourself with as many oysters as you like and no one says anything <laughs> um so for me i'm i live in my eyes a good part of the world because i have this country but i also have that country and that's where i divide my time and the, and the journey and for those listening bundjalung borders with the Agil country so it is yes. just below us um you know. Different nation. Yeah. Okay, the last question. What does custodial care mean to you? Uh, looking after the land. Looking after your people. Yeah. Especially our elders these days because the dementia is very high with a lot of the elders these days. And, yeah, just see it every day. You know, it's more and more elders getting dementia. That's why... um. I think it's important, especially around this region, that they build a their own little nursing home, like mm. you know, like they got down in Kempsey, their bridge, and just for mob. Just for mob, because mm. you find that when they go into these nursing homes and that they deteriorate so quick, mm. you know, because they're not around family members and Aboriginal people. Mm. 
great. Anybody listening who's got a giant estate that they're ready to give back, land back, Widgeable Wireball is looking for a nursing home that they can call home on their own land. Yeah, Wayne so. will sweep and wash all the floors because he likes doing that. And I'll just sit on the in the uh, yeah, I'll just sit in the corner and direct him when he misses a spot. Wayne's little nickname is Housewife because he just loves cleaning, eh? Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, you do. See, so if you're looking for the cleaner, Wayne King's your man. Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same as Wayne with being custodian. I mean, I work for health and I, I think that I've, I've been there for over 30 years plus and my line of work, what I do, I care, I care for my people very much. I, I, I tend to, and I think part of the hub and part of what I do you become a custodian that way I personally don't consider myself an elder there is no way I'm an elder I am a caretaker and I'm a custodian of my people of the Eagle and the Bundjalung Nation is what I do because I cover such a big area in my role but I think that um, the, the word elder is I think for my generation we like, I don't speak to lingo. I don't... I'm grateful and lucky enough to have been to sacred sites and know about the journey of, you know, Yalabar Castle and the river and the black swans and, you know, the sites out at Nimban and stuff like that and women's birthing sites, in which I've actually been to. Um, so I don't consider that to be... I don't speak to lingo. My brother Gilbert does. Yeah, you needs to wash his hair sometimes, eh? Yeah, um, I think think to become an elder, I think that um, you should be should earn that respect to, that's to get that title, not self-appointed. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I think that comes for a lot of things in life is that way back when we would have been appointed by our community as places. You have to earn it. Yeah. And you have to be seen by your community as being put in a position of power because they know you won't abuse it. What we're faced with with the mainstream society is just so many people self-appointing themselves into whatever role they want to, you know, to have power over or to be seen as something else. The gammon ones. Yeah. Anyway, the gammon ones always get caught. Yeah. They always get caught. So we'll leave you with that. We're going to be titling this episode, Share Your Blessings. A great uh, topic and through line and a big thank you to Arnie Jackie Laurie and Wayne King for joining me in the studio. I love you both very dearly and Bubble Bear from our community for your support. Thank you. You're very much welcome. Yeah. Yo, everyone. Bye. Bye. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Healthy North Coast, for supporting us to put together these stories so that we may share our experiences with all our community across this nation.